Today on episode number 426 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Inclusive Teaching, Visualization, and Observation with Dr. Tracy Addy. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. Dr. Tracy Addy is the Associate Dean of Teaching and Learning and Director of the Center for the Integration of Teaching, Learning, and Scholarship at Lafayette College in Easton, Pennsylvania, where she works with instructors across all divisions and ranks to develop and administer programming related to the teacher-scholar model. Tracy is a co-author of What Inclusive Instructors Do. Principles and Practices for Excellence in Teaching. Dr. Tracy Addy, welcome back to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you. It's great to be back again. You have been busy since we last spoke. I kind of get in the feeling that may just be the way that you <laughs> that you run run things. Uh, today we're going to be looking at a new couple of new projects you've been working on, one around classroom observation and another one called the Inclusive Teaching Visualization Project. Let's start with classroom observation. What do you remember about you first learning about that even being a thing in this world? Absolutely. So I can say that for my dissertation, actually, I did classroom observations of teaching. So my dissertation was focused on faculty who had education specialties and looking at their beliefs and practices. So in order to kind of tie belief and practice together, I had to actually look at practice. And so that actually kind of set me on a stage of, oh, wow, there's all of these different protocols. You know, there's a few in higher education at the time that you could actually use to look at practices. And the one that I had focused on was called the RTOP when I did my dissertation, the Reformed Teaching Observation Protocol. And so that particular one looked at kind of like student-centered practices and things of that nature. So that's the first time I really explored classroom observation protocols very deeply because I was doing my my work on it. And I was trying to figure out what, what protocol should I use or how should I do this for the research and, you know, whatnot. So that's the first one. Oh my gosh. No, I just, I have to, I want to put you on hold and go read your <laughs> entire dissertation. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds absolutely fascinating. So what were some of the things that you uncovered? And I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you uncovered in your research, but also in your own teaching through that experience. Sure. Yeah. For, for, well, through the actual experience, As maybe would be expected, sometimes beliefs don't align with practice. And so we might think that we actually go into a classroom and we're very student-centered, right? Maybe we do all the active learning and all of these different engagement strategies, but we might not do it as much as we think. And so that also um, was, was evident in some of the research. But also what was evident was that there are faculty, um, and it, at the time, you know, this is actually, they were kind of more rare when I was doing my dissertation, whereas they had kind of this specialty in education where now you, you actually see many more faculty like this. It's boomed up in, you know, the last 10, whatever so years. But these faculty 
would actually be employing a variety of student-centered practices, but there still was kind of like a gap, right? There's still this little gap between how do we like, you know, when we're thinking we really want to do this, you know, it's, it's, it's our true beliefs, we espouse these beliefs, but it's actually hard to implement. And there's a lot of variables there, a lot of factors, as you can imagine, that influence how we actually go about, you know, using certain practices and, and not others. And what was it that you used to assess one's espoused beliefs about teaching? Yeah, so there was actually a semi-structured interview protocol that I used, and it really looked at teacher beliefs. It was used largely in K-12 education, but we kind of, you know, modified it and used it for, for this setting in higher education. And that allowed, it was really nice because it allowed you to like kind of classify where the instructor sat on kind of this, you know, kind of spectrum or continuum of, of differing beliefs from very teacher-centered, very, you know, more and more student-centered um, types of beliefs. So those those were kind of the tools that, you know, I used in that project. And I would definitely say you had a second question of how did it impact me? You know, when I was teaching as, you know, a lot more in, in the past, I will say that it really made me think about my beliefs and my practice, I would say, you know, actually engaging in that work because, you know, I did this work because I was like, well, I'm obviously very pro kind of the student-centered learner-centered engagement of teaching very active learning um, approaches. So it made me really think about the things that I did in, in my class and how I did them and how I carried them out. It also made me think about what was effective in teaching and learning and what seemed to be effective in different contexts and different, you know, different types of scenarios. So that was really interesting. It was really interesting to see, you know, the wide variety of practices used by instructors. I think we always learn from watching others teach, you know, it's, there's always something there and they're like, oh, wow, that's done in a really unique way or a neat way. Or, you know, maybe I'll try to steal that and try that in my class or, you know, that type of thing. So I think I learned, you know, a lot in that way. And I really just enjoy looking at teaching, actually teaching, you know, all of that is, is very exciting to me. So I could kind of eat that up. <laughs> and what has your personal experience been like having people come and observe your classes? Yeah, that's a good, good question. So I've always been really open to people, you know, coming in my classes. I currently in my position now don't teach a lot or, you know, I haven't taught a lot in my position here at Lafayette a lot, but I've definitely taught in many other settings and for, and especially in undergraduate education. And so I will say that the last time I did like kind of open up my class was when I was at the Porvoo Center for Teaching and Learning, and we basically had these open classroom days. And so I was co-teaching with a colleague there, and we opened up our class. We had about, you know, five, I think, other faculty come to our class that day, and it was great. So they they got to see a very interactive session with students where they were actually creating kind of like teaching materials for 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 the course and they were working in groups and and whatnot so they kind of got to participate with them in the groups and kind of see and hear their process so that was a, it was a great experience and they you know afterwards well first off they contributed they they decided they wanted to also just they're so excited and engaged in the class too um so they kind of contributed there but then also afterwards they 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 remarked they described how they really appreciated being able to come and see the class uh, setting as well. So that was, was really great to have. And in the center that I work in currently, we run like teaching squares and other types of programs 
where we'll actually have three or four faculty that will actually pair up and look at each other's teaching observation, you know, do actually do observation in their classroom. And they always love it. I mean, it's always a really, you know, inspiring and really interesting to actually look in other classrooms. The classroom really shouldn't be a closed off space, you know, for, for us. So it should be, a, you know, an open space where we can invite our colleagues in and learn from each other. I have not had a lot of experience having I, I guess the way it would be classified would be more formative classroom evaluations. And most of the ones I mm-hmm. can recall are some part of a formal summative toward a promotion or tenure type of thing. And I do really recall the nerves and it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I've never felt like someone was sitting in there ready to catch me doing something wrong, but even then it still mm-hmm. weighs on me heavy. I don't know. Did you experience any kind of nerves any of the times people come in? And if so, or even just recommendations you might have in general for how to overcome some of those more natural feelings of nerves? Sure. I think that's a good question. So the ones that I just talked about were more formative, but I definitely have had as an instructor, the more evaluative ones. For example, when the department chair comes to your class and sits on it and evaluates you, right? This real peer review of teaching can definitely remember those circumstances. <laughs> How can you not, you know, like forget that they're, you know, they're coming. So with regards to nerves, I mean, I think I would say just it's natural. So it is natural to be nervous when people come to your class and we can normalize that. It, it, it You know, it, it will be likely that process for many people. That's absolutely okay. So some of the things that, you know, I've done is just, you know, try to act like you're you're teaching your normal in your normal space. You know, you have command of that space. This is something that you know well. You're likely have been teaching the class several times already. Um, so feel confident in that. And, you know, oftentimes I try to not focus on the observer. <laughs> so if you're constantly, you know, watching and wondering what they're doing, they're recording and whatnot, you know. You can act as if almost like try as best you can. It's not easy, but like as if they're, you know, not there. You're you're teaching your normal class. You have your command of of this particular course and just do, you know, the best that you can do. And so that's kind of the mindset, you know, I've always had when someone comes and observes my class. And obviously it also depends on who's observing, you know, your class and how, how it makes you feel. Having a conversation with them before is always great. And so when we really do like, peer review teaching, but even our formative looking at teaching in the classroom, that's not evaluative. We also just make sure we have a conversation with the instructor. So I think that that's really important to kind of set the tone. So if you can make sure you have that conversation about what, you know, what you're going to do in class, what it's going to look like and, you know, things like that is is really helpful to kind of prime, you know, the expectation of what, what will happen that day. And this particular set of classroom observations, I know, brought in a cast of characters who are often not brought into the mix. How have students been involved in your classroom observations and a new project that you've been working on? Yeah, absolutely. So in the center, we've run a couple pretty, you know, um, I don't know if I'd say a couple, but like it's a really established academy now. We're in like our fifth cohort. And it's focused on inclusive teaching. And so what we do is we have faculty members, they can, they're welcome to, you know, sign up for it. And they're really interested in making progress on various inclusive teaching goals that they have. And they're willing to get that support. And they actually want the feedback from students. 
So what we do is we pair them with our students. So we always have, you know, student fellows in our center that we hire specifically to give feedback to faculty to do classroom observation. And, you know, from their perspective, you know, what is inclusivity and have these conversations, you know, with with the professor. And so it's been a really wonderful experience. Our students have really gotten a lot out of it. They develop a number of skills from engaging in this process, and it's very rewarding for them. And the faculty have really enjoyed it because they really want to know and hear the students' perspectives. So with regards to the observations, we have been for the last couple of years trying to create a protocol that could actually help us focus on inclusive teaching practices specifically in the classroom and getting feedback on those. And so we actually have, are at a good point right now. So we've been running this, this study for, again, a couple of years. And I just wrote up the article <laughs> on the study. So we're aiming to hopefully publish that and share it with the rest of the world, the things that the students have been doing. So the students will basically go to the classes after they're trained on the protocol. So we work on training, you know, what do these inclusive teaching behaviors look like? We work on reliability, you know, all of that um, is embedded within their training. And they basically observe the behaviors of the, the, the faculty member. This, this protocol, you'll, hopefully you'll see more of it as, as, when it's published, but basically it focuses on a few key behaviors of the instructor and what they're doing in the class. And then they basically, it's like data-driven, so they get this kind of graphical display of kind of what are the different types of behavior, inclusive teaching behaviors they're using in their classes. And then the students also have debriefings and they have conversations with their instructors around these are the things you're doing and so we've seen some really interesting things with this we've seen like kind of like these like typologies like some instructors will you know spend a lot of time in their class doing these particular inclusive teaching approaches and so you can kind of see that you know in in, in their different observations and it and it just like kind of comes out in that uh, graphical display and it's a really good place for discussion points for our students and our faculty, and also with their goals. So if their goals are aligned with some of the things, the protocol is general, it's, you know, looking at various practices, but if they have some goals related to the protocol, they can actually consider them as they continue to get observed. And if those are changing, because again, it's kind of more of a data-driven way, are they actually, you know, doing more of that particular teaching practice? And so it's, it's, it's been a really interesting process. So that's how our students have been involved with our instructors. And it's, I would definitely say it's, it's one of our favorite programs that our center runs and that they really value the student partnerships. And there's been a lot of work on student partnerships, you know, before, you know, me and there's so many people doing wonderful work on student partnerships. Allison Cook say there's so many different names and, you know, we can definitely include a lot of these different links to student partnerships that people have kind of, you know, set the stage and the tone for this. I'm thinking about this tension between, I mean, a good tension between all of the wonderful practices that I read about in your book, What Inclusive Instructors Do. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about that in terms of what you, it's both what you just said, but also what you didn't say. And and getting the privilege of being able to work on my own teaching and being able to coach others one of the downsides is if you focused on too many things. So you you said this mm. protocol is focusing on a few key things, 
Because if you're going to try to change something about that, you're going to need to do some unlearning before you really have an opportunity to really do that learning. And so I'm wondering for you, what what are you what did you find or what are you thinking about in terms of all of the things you could do? Because there's a lot. There's a lot of really, really practical, tangible things that you talk about in your book and the other work that you do. Mm-hmm versus don't try to do it all. <laughs> These are, you know, like if you're going to change something about yourself, that's going to take some patience, some willingness to fail, some vulnerability. I don't know. Do you find that at all as you're working with faculty or even with yourself as you're thinking about your own teaching? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It is so easy to get overwhelmed. Like I want to do all these things. And and yeah, no, absolutely. We think about this all the time. And that's one of the reasons also for like our academy for faculty, they're focusing on inclusive teaching. We actually have them create two or three big goals. So that's, you know, you're going to focus on those things and they might evolve. We say that, right. They might evolve over the course of the semester in which you're engaged very deeply in it. And that's fine. So I do actually think it's really important to focus on a few things at first, you know, that like, if we do too much, we don't do it all well. So focusing on a a couple of key areas where they can really make an impact has been kind of the goal. And at the beginning of of our academy, we always kind of have this, you know, time where I'm, I'm, you know, going back and forth with them where they're talking about what their goals are. And there's a lot there. And it's like, you know, kind of narrowing it down that process. So it's a normal, natural process of like, I'm going to focus on this. And then as I get closer and closer to really you know, honing in on it, because we talk about this before they start to implement them in in the semester, then they're like, okay, these are the one or two things. And then by the end of the semester, you know, they've done like one or two things that they're so proud of. And like, they went really well. And it's really exciting. So yeah, absolutely. I would definitely say it's really important to focus on just a few, you know, things at first. And and over time, if you want to add more you know, to it, everybody's going to be a little different, right, in terms of how much they feel like they can do or want to do. And it also, we don't want to overwhelm yourself, right, as an instructor, and then also, you know, your students with too many changes all, all at once. I think, you know, you need some time and process. You know, you're talking about your dissertation earlier in our conversation reminds me a lot of that. So many times when we go to take on a big research project like that, we want to do all the things. And then there's that tension between actually finishing it and (laughs) and being able to explore all the things that we might want to. So what what has it been like for the students to be engaged? I know that you said there's a lot of other examples that you're able to look at from other universities and such. But I mean, this was different, at least for some aspect of of it for you at Lafayette. What was that like to get students engaged in the process? Yeah, I kind of slowly over time got students more and more engaged because I always thought, you know, we really have to have the students here and we're talking about inclusion and equity. They have to have voice like, you know, they're just so, so key key partners in, in this work. And so I would say that getting them involved wasn't as wasn't too hard in that we were able to find students that were really passionate about this work. And we continue to do that. Like they really want to make a difference. A lot of the students that we get are also really thinking about like equity, inclusion, just social justice, things of that nature, and really contributing in some type of way. And they really want to contribute. And it's really, you know, wonderful to see that they've never done something like we do in the center before, which is a very new experience for them, like classroom information protocols, you know, things like that they haven't done. And so they're, they kind of gain these new skill sets. 
So I would say, yeah, getting the students involved has been wonderful. I've, I've loved having them involved in the center and the work. They contribute so much to conversations and the things that we do. And the faculty, like I mentioned before, like they really like working with our students as well. And they just bring so much insight. So to give an example, this summer, I'm working with one of our departments on inclusive teaching. So it's more of a departmental kind of effort. And so uh, some key courses. And we have one of our student fellows who was giving feedback to them. They're, they're proposing different inclusive teaching strategies. And this particular student fellow is giving lots of, has been giving lots of feedback. And the feedback they, that they give is so phenomenal. <laughs> like, you know, I couldn't even say it as, as well as like, you know, the students coming from their voice, it's coming from their perspective and it's really useful in so many ways. So it's been great in that way. We formed a lot of wonderful relationships with students, our alumni, they come back and they say, can you, can we still work, you know, <laughs> with some of this? And it's just, we see like so much good impact. They get more confidence and see all of these other things that they get, you know, these leadership and being able to talk to faculty and to give feedback. That's not always easy, right? Like we see the power, you know, kind of dynamics going on there. And they develop that skill. They often also come back. They have a semester commitment, but they can come back. And many of them often do. And so some of them we've had for a while. We had several like graduating seniors this past. So we have like a new cohort, a lot of new cohort coming in this year. So yeah, so it's been a wonderful process to have students involved. There is logistical things and whatnot as associated with anything, but it's, it's been positive. Another area of research that's always been interesting to me is the difference between how we think that we learn, our, our preferences versus what actually helps. And there's that whole area of what Robert Bjork and others call desirable difficulties. And so it's like, I would really rather sit there and highlight my notes, but what actually is going to generate more learning. Do you see those kinds of things come up where some of the students you work with they have to sort of reconcile their own preferences with what actually will work? Or is that not something that shows up in this particular um, context? Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So I would say that when the student follows, some of them, when they start out, depending on their experience level, they, they might kind of run into that a little bit more, especially if they haven't done, you know, if because they have to think about the classroom beyond being a student right in the class. So they're the observer. So it's this different kind of view, right? And then they're focusing on particular behaviors where sometimes, you know, you could say, well, I know that's inclusive, but why? <laughs> you know, like, like, you know, so it's like this processing that that sometimes has to happen as well. So I definitely also see that sometimes with students, but then once they keep doing it, they're like, oh yeah, you know, and then it's like they're they can actually articulate what it looks like and what they're, you know, they're, they're going to communicate it even better to their instructors, to their, to the faculty as well in terms of what they mean. And so sometimes I do kind of see what you're talking about early on as they're kind of developing and thinking about what is inclusive teaching and what, how do I kind of manifest, how does it manifest in the classroom? And I know when it feels this way, but what does it look like when I tell them this? And so there's, there's definitely that process that does happen with students. 
Yeah, a few episodes ago, I talked about going in and doing a super informal classroom observation. I was just mostly there to see a friend as a different context. But I found myself wanting to use some of the classroom observation protocols that I have learned. Because mm-hmm. I think too, way too often, we tend to ascribe it as a natural trait, you know, they're naturally good at it, versus being able to break things down into behavior. So I think that's really fascinating what you're what you're doing here. You talked earlier about some of the goals. What are some examples of a couple of goals that people you see maybe trends or themes of what people focus on in this work. That's great. Yeah. So one of them I would say is kind of growth mindset, especially like within STEM disciplines. So we know also in general that now when there's more and more evidence coming out that the teacher's growth mindset is even more important, is really important for facilitating students' growth mindset. It's always great for students to have a growth mindset. And again, growth mindset, so I can actually define it, uh, is is the basically the ability that you can believe that with practice, you can achieve like intelligence, your intelligence is not fixed, right? And so when teachers or instructors have that mindset that it's fixed, it can have detrimental impacts on their students. And also when students have that mindset, obviously it can have detrimental impacts on their learning. So some of our instructors have focused on that, just wanting to incorporate more growth mindset language and in their courses, especially in certain STEM, I would say courses, we've seen that a lot, that, that, that has occurred kind of several times. Another theme I would say is just group work, group projects, and how to make them more equitable for students. They have a lot of questions for students around group work. How can we make this you know, the best experience, how can I put together my groups, um, et cetera, and all of that, you know, all that's associated with it. That's been another, I would say, big topic. And a, a third one I would just say is bigger, not kind of not so broad, but like, like the content of the course and like trying to better infuse diversity and inclusion in the course, you know, material and how students will engage in it. So like some of our faculty will create like an activity or some kind of course um, assignment. And it goes like, it's way out from what they would normally do. Cause it's, you know, it's really embedding these, you know, uh, principles around making students really think about something or learn about something in a different way. And so they do that. And then oftentimes they want like their student partner to get feedback on how did it go? Like, and, and just, so not only just like how to create it, you know, design this, for students to introduce it into this into this particular context, but also how did it go in the classroom setting? So they can, you know, very nicely do that. So I've definitely seen that as another theme and across different disciplines, you know, there, which has been really interesting. When you were talking about growth mindset, you really described it, but I want to make sure people don't miss that there's changing our own minds about that and really going inside and doing that deep work. And then there's also then being better about being transparent about that because I, I sort of always assumed that people would know. And I said, no, we actually need to tell them and not only tell them, but actually then provide them with examples rather than you only telling them that they actually sure. get to see that they're doing the work that that you're not just patting them on the head and being like, good job, but you're actually showing them that they can do this through if it's active learning or some of the projects or assignments, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Another project that you have been not just working on, but already released is the Inclusive Teaching Visualization Project. What on earth is that one? (laughs) It's a good question. (laughs) No, this is a really interesting project that I've been, again, thinking about kind of coupled with this idea 
of observation and visualization. So one of the things about inclusive teaching is, yeah, we can tell instructors, these are really good and useful practices, right? That you could try in your classroom, but like, let's see them, right? Let's visualize them. And again, we talked about going to people's classes, how closed off sometimes that classroom space is to actually see these particular teaching practices. So the Inclusive Teaching Visualization Project was in part born out of a desire to visualize, you know, different practices so that we actually have them out there and it's, you know, and it's available to, you know, to actually think about, to actually help us reflect on our own practices. And it's not to say that these are the only practices. These are just examples like, you know, of practices and some of our instructors might do them a little differently, right? Than, than the actual, you know, actors that acted out. So this particular project was also born out of some of my prior experiences that I've always wanted to incorporate in where, you know, my the where I'm at now. And so that is also working with actors in educational development or teaching and learning settings. So at one point, I worked at in a medical school teaching and learning center, and I actually managed actors. And it was for a program called a standardized patient program, which, you know, a lot of medical schools have to basically have actors play the roles of patients. And so that students, before they actually engage in, you know, actual real patients, they'll they'll actually practice their history taking, physical exam and other skills on those actors. and get feedback from their faculty. So it's a beautiful formative learning experience for medical students, future doctors, right, as well. And so I got the opportunity to manage the actors and also helped kind of write scripts and things like that. I also published in like writing cases and really thinking about these concepts. So these this visualization project kind of tied all of this in. And so we basically brought on three actors, for this version of it. And these actors were given scripts that we wrote. I wrote them based on the classrooms, you know, my teaching, other teaching, all the observations I've done. I got feedback from students and others. And then basically they played the role of instructors. We also had student extras. So a lot of our student extras that are in that project are in theater kinds of programs and they're really interested in acting and whatnot. So this was a nice opportunity for them as well. And so the goal was to really think about, you know, a variety of inclusive teaching practices and what could they look like. So it's kind of loaded. I mean, the the, the videos, like in terms of like which practices are there and kind of very manageable short clips that you can, you know, basically look at to really think about these practices. Now, the other thing that's beautiful about the Inclusive Teaching Visualization Projects, we had to be strategic and think about also the protocol, is that you'll be able to well, link them together to actually have visualization and think about different practices and using the protocol as well. So there's a there's a very nice linkage there between the two. And so my hope is that people, you know, feel free to contact me about other cases. I have so many more cases in my mind. <laughs> I just, you know, if only we had enough time to like do right, do all this, right? But I would love to continue to add more to that project and a lot of other examples. There's so many things that can be done there with that as well. So I'd love people to also contact me and let me know what, what would be really interesting or a really unique like or interesting scenario with inclusive teaching that you'd really want to see like an example of, you know, visualized. So that's basically that project.
I was so curious about the students. I'm glad you volunteered that information because they were so good. And now, I mean, it makes yeah. perfect sense that this is the craft that they have been working on. I mean, because they, they're really, really incredible. And I was laughing because I think maybe I've been watching too much TV, coupled with the fact mm-hmm. that I'm used to seeing examples of what it shouldn't look like. And so I kept sure. with, with one of the three actors, I don't, one of them I kept he was really, really good, but I kept being convinced it was mm-hmm. going to go very, you know, <laughs> it was going like, <laughs> to go very, very wrong. And every time I thought, I thought yes. like, what, I, after I got, I was like, oh, it's over and nothing bad happened. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I love it. They're very good. Yeah, they did great. And I, we've actually had some questions around that. Like, oh, you could actually do what should what it should look like, what it shouldn't. And so it's interesting you bring that up because others have brought that up too mm-hmm. <laughs> as well. But yes. Yeah. That linkage, though, with giving people an opportunity to practice what it's like giving feedback. I think too many times we just think that that's an easy thing and it really isn't. Mm-hmm. So to be able to see that and have it in a more contained environment. And it's really interesting to hear about your background at the medical school, too. What a, what a fascinating thing. I, many decades ago when I was in school, I used to do a little bit of theater and stuff. So it's just fun. It's fun to see the ways in which theater shows up in the world in some unexpected ways for me. What a fun way for people to get to use their skills for such a good, good purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's been a lot of positive feedback on it. I know that you can, and they can use it for many reasons. So like an individual instructor, you know, look at the videos, think about your own teaching, right? Reflect on your own teaching. Educational developers, use them in your programming, you know, show examples, you know, whatever you'd like to use it, it's it's really out there. But yeah, so overall, it's it's been really good feedback. And I agree. I think it's really nice to infuse the arts in some of the, in the work that we do. I mean, th- this is a really great area for them to be able to, for, for art, the arts, you know, to actually be able to be incorporated in educational development. Yeah. And these are, for anybody listening, these are readily available for you to go check out. I'll have all the links in the show notes to go just check them out and all the clips are there. And as Tracy said, the protocol's coming soon so we can get some practice using it as we watch. I, I loved hearing about that connection as well. Before Tracy and I get to the recommendations portion of the show, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, and that is Text Expander. Text Expander is one of the first things that I ever install on a new computer. In fact, I can't even really imagine using a computer without it because it's such an integral part of what I do. And what Text Expander does is it allows you to easily set up very simple or even intricate expansions of text. So you just have a few characters that you remember. A lot of mine start with X and then it might be T-I-H-E-S-I-G as in the special signature just for teaching and higher ed guests. And I also use it for show notes. So I can type in T-I-H-E-S-N as in show notes and it'll ask me queries like what's the episode number and who's the guest and automatically carries that information across the entire note. And they have a special offer for teaching in higher ed listeners. You can get 20% off of a subscription. If you head on over to textexpander.com slash podcast, you can find out more about Text Expander, how it works, and then take advantage of that special offer. And I can't emphasize enough how easy it is to get started with Text Expander and then really to have it walking alongside you in your work and find little ways to expand your use and your learning of it. Just recently, speaking of signatures, I redid all of my signatures because I wanted to have a link 
link to a recording of how to pronounce our very hard to pronounce last name. It's not hard once you learn it, but and so it was super easy for me to go back there and make those adjustments and have them incorporated into future emails. So again, head on over to textexpander.com slash podcast and tell them you heard about Text Expander from Teaching in Higher Ed. Thanks so much. All right, well, this is the time in the show where we each get to share our recommendations, and I'm going in an entirely different direction here. <laughs> I, I had a problem recently, Tracy, where I accidentally recommended the same thing two shows in a row. And so I literally almost did it again today. Someone had recently recommended Octavia Butler's books, and so I recommended them recently after reading them voraciously. And then I went here today, and I was about to recommend. I'm like, you can't do it twice in a row. I'm not falling for that again. So I'm going in a totally different direction. So I have been following this guy named Blake Burge on Twitter. I have no idea what he's all about or where you know how I even got connected, but he has pretty regularly threads about how to learn how to use Excel. And they're fascinating because I've actually been using Excel for decades now. And but sometimes you just kind of forget or they've made some new feature. I hadn't realized one that I just saw this morning where you highlight all of your data and then you click on the toolbar on analyze data and it'll make suggestions to you. Because sometimes if it's something like a pivot table, I'll be scratching my head thinking I'm not exactly sure what it is I want to do here. So kind of having some suggestions for that. But every single one of his threads on learning Excel is very bite-sized, very manageable, and just makes me want to go and play with data. So those are my two recommendations is to follow him on Twitter so you can then experiment with some of his Learn Excel threads. Each one is only three or four, and you'll always have a little demo of whatever it is that he's showing. And it really does seem seem very accessible to go and learn and start playing. So I know that seems very random based on what you just shared. <laughs> no, that seems very useful. I'm thinking of all the data analysis <laughs> you have to do and like learning Excel. There's so many features. That sounds wonderful. That Yeah, what a great recommendation. Thank you for Thank you for sharing that. Recently, what's been taking up most of my my time recently is reading The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. And so that's been a book that actually my center staff and I are reading too together. And I know I've heard of it from others in, in the field and whatnot. And I was like, oh, I've never read it. And it's been a really, you know, really useful book in, in many ways. Thinking about not even just like if you are at a center for teaching, but any gathering, right? Like in, in your life and how to really think about the purpose of that gathering, who's invited and, you know, all of the details associated with it. So I really appreciated that book. So I, I, I definitely would recommend it. Oh, it's a good one. I just finished and haven't really processed because there's so much to think about in a teaching <laughs> context, too. Yeah. And it's yeah. probably fun for you to be connected with people who are also reading it and get some of those ideas out. I don't think I'll ever go yeah. to an event and be the same, though. I just read it recently myself. So it's like, I'm always like, what was the goal? And <laughs> probably. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I, I agree. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been fun to definitely read it with others. And then we also do try to apply it to the center, you know, context, but yeah, yeah. it's a good book. Well, Tracy, I'm so glad to have had you come back on the show. I saw you tweet about this and thought, oh, I wonder if she has any time. So thank you for squeezing <laughs> me in to your days and coming back and sharing about these two projects. No, absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. I love, you know, sharing this and, you know, as you mentioned, we've been busy and it's fun and exciting and, you know, looking forward to all the things that 
come from this and all the instructors and students who benefit. So I thank you so much for inviting me onto the show again. Absolutely. Thanks once again to Dr. Tracy Addy for joining me on today's episode. Today's episode was produced by me, Bonnie Stahoviak, and was edited by the ever-talented Andrew Kroger. Podcast production support was provided by the wonderful teacher, Sierra Smith. And these podcast episodes are just one of the many teaching and higher ed resources. If you'd like to receive the weekly email updates, head on over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe. You'll get an email in your inbox every week with the show notes from the most recent episode, some other recommendations that don't show up on the show. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.